0: Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Participate in one of our free online workshops happening all the time. If that isn't for you, check out our online Bible study classes. There are tons of studies and times to choose from. For more information on these things, head to our website at www.preceptministries.ca. There, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our mailing list to stay updated on all that God is doing within this ministry. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Colossians. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here, and this is another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast as we're working through the book of Colossians. Uh, We are now on episode three. Last week, we walked through the first part of Paul's prayer, and that was verses 9 to 14. And this week, we're going to look at the continuation of the remaining of chapter one. And it's very interesting what some scholars believe uh, is happening in these verses, and I can't wait to dig into it with you. So let me pray, and then we'll get started Uh, right into it father we do thank you for the time that we have to be able to dig into your scriptures father we pray that as we look at this text today that you would guide our discussion we would you would uh, help us to see the truths that are coming uh, through these verses as they are heavily uh, doctrinated with your son Jesus Christ so we pray Lord that you would speak clearly to us Uh, Through this time that we have, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me start by saying that uh, as we work through the Colossians, um, you know, growing up uh, in my life, I spent a lot of time in my younger years in a traditional Baptist church. I mean, when I'm talking traditional Baptist church, uh, the choir, they wore robes, the pastor, wore a robe, and, uh, you know, you had all of the um, sort of traditions of the church in place. The one thing that this church absolutely loved was singing the uh, great old hymns uh, that are found in the hymn book. Uh, When I went and started pastoring in my own church, uh, they too were heavy, heavy, heavy Uh, with the hymns. I remember uh, in the churches I was pastoring that we had to sing the doxology hymn number 625 in the red hymn book. And uh, when the offering was taken up, we were allowed to rotate the doxology out with hymn number 282, The Family of God. Anytime that we were Uh, working through the collection of the offering. The old rugged cross, and there were so many other uh, great, wonderful hymns. Great is thy faithfulness. All these hymns, and what was so great about these hymns is that these hymns were filled with truth, doctrine about God. Um, Now, and I'm not opposed to contemporary worship, but there are times where worship bands will release some music and I will send it around to some friends and I'll ask them, hey, what do you think of these lyrics that you're hearing? Um, some of the lyrics are, are not lining uh, directly right up to what the scriptures say about God. And so um, there are some questionable songs. Uh, the church we attend Now the pastor has banned some certain songs to be sung because they don't really fit with, um, you know, good doctrine. So I think that's a good thing. But what we've got here is uh, two things in Colossians I want us to think about. The first is that Paul's prayer, what we saw last week in verses 9 to 14, is his prayer so that we would have all of these things uh, the knowledge of his will, the spiritual wisdom and understanding for the purpose of being able to walk worthy in a manner of the gospel. To walk worthy in the manage, uh, um, walk worthy in a manner worthy of Christ. And so then as he's working through his prayer, he begins to tell us about Jesus and how the Father qualified us to be inheritance in the saints. Uh, He rescued us from the wrath of darkness um, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption of sin. So I want to keep context here as we move through because the first thing that we want to know is that there was warnings to this church to not be deluded Uh, and that they need to be not taken captive by different things. So, some scholars believe that during this time, uh, Gnosticism was beginning to take root. Uh, In our precept courses, uh, we used to have um, articles in the Colossians book about Gnosticism, but historically, Gnosticism wasn't just a full thing yet. It was just coming about, and the idea... Um, was that Jesus, okay, so some scholars will point to Jesus, what they said about Jesus was that he was created by God uh, for creation, that he was just another part of the creation. And so we're going to see as Paul begins to work through continuing on uh, the following things. First, we're going to see that Christ Was before creation. We're also going to see that Christ was before the church. And then finally, we're going to see that Christ is the reason for Paul's ministry. So, three things we're going to look at quickly is one, Christ is before creation, two, Christ is before the church and he is the head of the church. And then finally, Christ is the reason for Paul's ministry. So we're looking at verse, starting at verse 15. He, he just finished off telling us that uh, in Christ, we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. This is a huge point here is that the very fact that when Christ died on the cross, his blood was shed for us. He was the propitiation Uh, for us. He was the payment made in full. He took us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the marvelous light, as Peter says, and therefore, uh, we need to really understand who Jesus is. So, the argument or the philosophy that was coming was that Create In creation, he, God, created Jesus. He was just a part of the creation. And what Paul is going to do here is Paul is now going to take us uh, through the verses and he's going to show us that Christ is and was a part of creation. And so what he says here first in verse 15, he said, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So, first thing first, we want to look at the idea here that Christ is the invisible. Uh, The image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn of all creation. Now, if you were with us as we worked through Hebrews, you would have already seen this. So you could go back and you could study through the book of Hebrews. But Hebrews chapter 1, and what it says in verses 1 to 3. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he's spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And now listen to what he says. He is the radiance of his glory. He is the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Uh, When he made purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, Having become a much better than the angels, he inherited a more excellent name than they. So what do we get from the Hebrews passage? First, he is the exact representation. He is the imprint of God's nature. Uh, The son of God made the world through his son, Jesus, and Jesus upholds all things. Uh, He, Jesus, made purification for sin we know that as well verse 8 tells us about the son in hebrews chapter 1 but of the son he says your throne O god is forever and ever and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom so what we've got here is jesus is the exact representation um, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, bringing Hebrews and Colossians together. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 18. John 1, 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And so uh, we'll work our way through and we'll come back. But here's what we know. Uh, one, nobody has ever seen God. If you remember in the Old Testament, uh, G- God, Moses asked God to see him, to see his face. And and what happened was God uh, passed behind him. Moses never saw him, but even as God passed behind him, uh, his face shone so bright because of the glory of the Lord passing by him, nobody since the very beginning of time has seen God's face. What we have here in John, and we have in Colossians, is that Jesus is the exact representation. He is the image of the invisible that nobody has seen, uh, except uh, we see him through Jesus. Now, if you look at John chapter 12, verse 45. John 12:45 says, he who sees me sees the one who sent me. Those are the words of Jesus. And so he says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Uh, verse chapter 14, verses 7 to 11. They say, uh, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and you have seen me. Um, "'Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us.' "'Jesus said to him, "'Have I been so long with you that even you had come to know me, Philip? "'He who has seen me has seen the Father. "'How can you say, show us the Father? "'Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? "'The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, "'but the Father abiding in me does his works.'" Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the work of themselves. So, what we've got here is Jesus as He's working. Through, we're working through this passages. Uh, the text tells us is He is the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God. Uh, he says in the New Testament, "If you have seen me, you have seen." the Father. Uh, What Paul is doing in these passages is he's saying, Jesus is God. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, "Um, have this attitude in yourselves, which also is in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, uh, But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed him on Uh, the name which is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow to those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord uh, to the glory of God the Father. Back to Colossians chapter 1. So, uh, he is God. Now, you see what Paul is doing here. The argument is that they're saying that Jesus was created by God and a part of creation. But what Paul is doing is he is pointing to the very fact that Jesus, the one who rescued us, the one who died for your sins, the one who shed blood on the cross, the one who resurrected from the dead, is God. Now, it's absolutely amazing that as we work through, if you remember my analogy in the beginning we have the idea here, uh, what scholars believe is that as he's working through uh, verses 15 to 20, this is like one of those traditional hymns. Those t- those traditional hymns in which we're going to lay down all of these truths about God uh, and the two things we're going to learn about him is in the two stanzas of a hymn, if you want to say. The first is, That he was before creation. The second part of that stanza of the hymn is he is the beginning of the church. So it's the traditional um, music that you're seeing in here. It's like this is a hymn uh, being used by Paul. So he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of creation. Now, when we look at firstborn, we don't mean firstborn like he came, the first created, out of creation. But it's an order. It's like an heir. It's like the firstborn, the one who receives all things. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14 is going to tell us all about Jesus and his role in creation. So we'll look at that quickly and we'll see... That he's not one who was created during the process of those six days of creation, but he existed at the very beginning. And so it says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, through the word. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Uh, The light shines in darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word, and the word was with God, the word was God, and creation was was spoken into existence. Uh, This is absolutely uh, amazing stuff that Paul is laying down here. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, uh, what you have here, okay, you ready for this? This is what blows my mind. Every time I study through Genesis, every time I work through Colossians, uh, God created in the beginning. How did he create? He spoke creation into existence. They made man in our image, meaning more than one person there. Genesis chapter 1, you have God and you have the Spirit of God hovering over the earth. We have... Um, the word speaking into existence. John tells us that Jesus is the word that was with God. And then Paul in Colossians said, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created Through him and for him. One scholar said that creation was Jesus' idea. It was his plan. He made it happen. Uh, He spoke creation into existence. The reason he spoke creation into existence, the sole purpose of that was for God to be glorified in it. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Uh, Jesus was not just an emanation that came out of creation, he created. So what he's doing for these people is, the one who rescued you, the one who shed his blood for you, he is God. Now don't let anybody delude you, don't take, be taken captive by philosophies. Keep in mind that the one who rescued you is God. God. He's the exact representation. He was God in heaven. He came to earth as man. He kept his full deity as both God and man on earth. And when Jesus walked the earth, we saw the exact representation of God walking on the earth to be sacrificed for sin. When we saw Jesus, we saw God. Notice the pattern he has all the way through. Um, Here he says, For by him all things were created. Not not some things, all things were created. Uh, Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authority doesn't matter. Anything on this earth created by God. Verse 17, He was before all things. Uh, Not only was He before all things, He holds all things together. Verse 17 says, he is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. What we have first is we have first the invisible became visible. The second is that we have Christ is the beginning Of the church. He is the head of the church. Uh, The word church in the Greek is ecclesia or calling out. Uh, So it's the believers. He's the head of all believers. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 tell us um, greet the brethren who are at the church in Laodicea, also. Uh, Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among it, you have also read it in the church of Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read the letter that is coming to you in Laodicea. There's, there's churches or groups and bodies all over the place. Uh, Ephesians is another reference that points back to the church, and so Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 and 23. And what it says is, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which he, which is his body, the fullness of him that is, uh, that fills all in all. Um, Ephesians chapter five, verses, uh, 22 and to 33, uh, begins to also talks about the church Uh, he says um, wives you are to be subject to your husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife and christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body but as the church is subject to christ so also the wives ought to be uh, there to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives as christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, uh, that it would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as also Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Uh, Verse 32, the mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Uh, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, built his church. He built his body. Uh, In the book of Matthew, Jesus addressing Peter he says that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. Uh, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, talks about Christ being the cornerstone of the church. It's upon the foundation of which the church is. He is the head of the church. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24, uh, the assembly, the church, is the firstborn. That refers to the believers who are enrolled in heaven. Col- Corinthians, 1 chap- Corinthians chapter 12 talks about all the members of the body of the church are all one in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 explains to us the mystery of the church that brings both Jew and Gentile into one through Christ's body. He's the firstborn of the dead, he's the heir of all things, and he is the head of the church. Jesus is the reason that we have life and we have the church. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. Look, he's not something that was created a part of creation. He is God. Not only is he God and he is above all things, he's in control of all things. All things were created through him. But he's also the head of the church, the body that you are now a part of because he rescued you from sin. The final thing that Paul is going to do in this passage, uh, he is going to tell us that because he's the head of the church, he's the beginning, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And though through him to reconcile all things to himself, he made peace through the blood of the cross, of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, he reconciled you in his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is what Jesus did. The one who created all things, he came and he also reconciled you through the act, actions on the cross and he made you a part of the body of Christ. You're a part of the church. It's him who makes you a part of the church. Nothing else makes you a part of the church. It's all the work that Jesus did. That final thing that he's going to do is he's going to explain to us um, the reason that Christ is the reason for his ministry. He says, now... uh, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which you have proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, was made a minister, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake in my flesh. I do not share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Of this church I was made a minister." according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which was been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. Uh, the words that he's sharing in Colossians are very similar to the words shared in First Corinthians chapter 15. When he shares in chapter 15, he says, this is the gospel that I made known to you. He then breaks down the gospel, and he tells you that uh, that Jesus, according to the scripture, was um, crucified. He was put on the cross, and he died. Then he was buried for three days, according to the scripture. He rose from the dead. Not only did he rise from the dead, he appeared to all the apostles, unto more than 500 brethren at one time. And then he also appeared to the one uh, Paul, who he considered to be uh, not worthy of being appeared to but because he appeared to him he made him a minister of the gospel and he says that if Christ did not die on the cross and didn't do what he did all of the belief would be in vain it'd be all worthless everything that paul did and built the his ministry was built upon jesus christ and christ shed blood and the work of the cross and everything he did, every shipwreck he endured, every beating he endured, every time he was put in prison, everything that was happening to him, the very fact that he was put in prison right now as he was writing this letter, he'd never met these people, all of that was for naught. If God and Jesus were not one, if God The deity of of God did not dwell in Christ, that he humbled himself and came to earth, that he sacrificed himself on the cross, that it was through his blood that he qualified us, and that Paul's now a minister of the gospel, uh, enduring great persecution for the furthering of the gospel. Romans tells us that Paul didn't want to take the gospel where it had been before. He didn't want to build on somebody else's ministry, so he always went into hostile territory. Acts chapter 17 will show you what it was like when he went into uh, Thessalonica. All of that, he was made a minister of the gospel for the purpose that the gospel would bear fruit and transform lives. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying that Christ is God. They are one. That Christ was in the beginning. He is the one who brought creation into existence. All things are under him. That he is the firstborn and he is the head of the church. And he is the head of the church that Paul now serves and takes the gospel wherever he can go. But you see, if Jesus wasn't God... And if creation didn't happen through him, and he was just a man created, then he was just another person who died for a religion. But that's not true. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying is that God humbled himself, and he came to earth as a man with the fullness of deity, fully God, fully man, sacrificed on a cross, shed blood for the propitiation of sins, He became the head of the church. We are the body. We serve him. Study Hebrews. He's the mediator for us. He sits at the right hand of God and mediates on our behalf. He's the high priest who made the sacrifice and atonement for our sin. And now Paul suffers and serves for Jesus. This is the reason that Paul serves. He rejoices in his sufferings. He celebrates them because he knows that he's doing it all for Jesus. He tells us the reason for his ministry. The purpose in which he serves. The purpose in which he makes all of these sacrifices. We proclaim him Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. This is the purpose that I labor and strive according to his power, which mightily works within him. These verses are so amazing. You see, Paul's prayer doesn't end at verse 14. Paul's prayer continues to go that you would fully understand, that you would fully know that Jesus is God. When Jesus walked the earth, we saw God, that he was there at the beginning of creation, that he is the head of the church, and that's the reason I wake up and serve in the morning. How about you? the truths that have run through the scriptures today that we've walked through in uh, verses 15 to 29, do they fire you up? Do you get excited? Or is this just another truth you know? Yeah, I know. I know that God created and that Jesus was there in Genesis chapter 1 when God spoke creation into existence. Yeah, I know John chapter 1, that Jesus was the word, the Word became flesh. Yeah, I know. I've studied Corinthians. I know Jesus is the head of the church. I know that we're to serve Him and and love Him, and you know that whole we we need to love our wives like like Christ loves the church. I get those passages. Yeah, I know Paul sacrificed a lot to serve. I mean, these verses, they fire me up because when I look at it and I see all the way back to verse nine, for this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of God. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And here's why. For attaining all steadfastness, patience, joyously giving thanks to God the Father. Because why? Because he qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Uh, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. God did that. God did that when he humbled himself and he came to earth and Jesus was the exact representation of earth, of the father. He's the image and the radiance of God present on earth. When you saw Jesus, you saw God. He did that for us. He left heaven. He came to the very thing he created to be a sacrifice for his creation so that we would be qualified to share in the inheritance. Can you see why Paul wants the church to be joyous, And thank you. Thankful. He wants them to be joyous and thankful. Because of the work that Christ did. He's not just some other guy. Who was a part of creation. That he was just some man who walked the earth. Proclaimed to be God. Did some miracles and stuff. And then he died. No. He's the God. God who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, defeated death, defeated Satan. There's no... Jesus has power. He's the one that we should keep our minds focused on. And we're going to see that as we begin to work in towards chapter 2. And in chapter 3... When he says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. If you've been raised up with Christ, your focus should be on Christ. Why? Because he's God. And the work that he did on this earth qualified you to share in the inheritance. I love it. Take those words from verses 15 to 20. I dare you. Compare them to some of the great old hymns. If you have a hymn book, you're going to see direct hymns using those words. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Lord, for who you are thank you for all that you have done that you humbled yourself and you came to earth to be a sacrifice for us father may we never forget who you are in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God what Paul is laying down here is phenomenal truth that your son Jesus he was on earth he was fully God and fully man that he is the head of the church and is he is the reason we have life so father help us to focus and dwell on these things this week in Jesus name we pray